Evolutionary.org presents Evolutionary Hardcore Podcast with your co-hosts, Steve from the American Underground and Mobster from the UK Iron Den. Get ready for the most hardcore and underground info in the industry. And here we go. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6... Evolutionary Podcast Hardcore, episode 23 coming your way. Today we're going to be talking about a very interesting guy. And uh, Mobster, who is this? And I'll have you introduce him since he is a British bodybuilder now. Yeah, yeah you're, you're struggling with the pronunciation. And I know the score. That Samson, too. Samson Dwalda. Uh, so Dwalda would be the Nigerian. Samson, is, it's interesting that he's got the name Samson. Because obviously that connection to strength and muscle. So I'm fascinated by that. And as you said, and I'm I'm checking the show notes here as well. I'm talking people. Originally born in Nigeria, but emigrated for one reason or another. We're not entirely sure why. To the United Kingdom, Great Britain, uh, we think when he was a child. And uh, yeah, and and now considers himself, as Steve and I were discussing in the pre-show, considers himself British. And why why do we say that? As Steve pointed out different athletes that we've got coming up when they're competing in international competitions can literally pick different flags. If they have, they were born in one place or they've drawn nationality. Samson chooses to be recognized as British and there's something else. And again, something Steve and I discussed in the pre-show, he talks more British than I do, Steve. He's definitely not got any hint of the homeland, the motherland, the, the, the land of his birth is there's broad Northern where he lives. I think he lives in the Midlands. Uh, accent there so yeah definitely a brit and definitely out there flying the british flag the union jack uh to represent and yeah I, something of which i i made some my own show notes is steve his potential uh possible for the title the the o title is now there i think him and the plumber the people we've got coming up in some shows that are all within it's all within their grasp so this is another reason why of course we're doing the podcast today. Do we think Samson has it? That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about his history, his background, the steps he's made to improve, the cycle that we think he'd be using, his sponsorship. We're going to talk about everything. It's going to be a back and forth between me and Steve, and we're going to we're going to dig in deep and give you our opinion on what what potential we think he has to to reach out for the crown, to reach out for the Mr. Olympia title. Back to you, Steve. Yeah, so you really want to keep an eye on him for sure. And um, this next series we're going to be doing, it's going to be a bunch of guys who uh, one of them is very likely to finish as a Mr. Olympia champion if Hottie or Big Rami don't repeat themselves. So um, we're, we're going to have to keep an eye on these guys to give them a run for their money and give Hottie a, a run for his money upcoming in 2023-2024. So, Samson, look, last two years he's proven himself. He got top six at the Mr. Olympia in 2022. He won the Arnold Classic outright. Um, his nickname, the Nigerian Lion, as Mobster mentioned, that's his nationality from Nigeria. And I actually looked this up, Mobster, and there are some lions that are in the wild in Nigeria. Some, very, very little. They've kind of... The population has dropped substantially um, with that, but lions are mostly uh, more in central and south 
some you know closer to South Africa, but there's little pockets of them throughout Nigeria as well in the wild. So I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, but of course, Nigeria is a very populated urban uh, country. So lions, obviously, they they wouldn't do well in most of that country. But nonetheless, yeah. uh, that is his nickname. Um, look, and one of the reasons they nicked them nicknamed them the lion is because five foot eleven, an incredible two seventy five contest weight. And in the off season, there's been rumors he's gotten up to 330. So he's an absolute beast. And um, it's it's crazy uh, how big these guys keep getting, Mobster. We would have never thought such a thing was possible uh, 25 years ago or even 20 years ago. And now look at, at what's happening. So some of these guys that we're going to be talking about in this series, um, they are just absolutely huge and lean and ripped. And he's only 31 years old. His arms are 22 inches. His chest is 55 inches and his waist is just 33 inches. So uh, what a physique, huh? To have that kind yeah. of, uh, those kind of stats. It just, it just, just go ahead. Yeah, sorry. I believe at the Arnold, he was closer to 300 pounds, Steve. I, I, feel, I think you're right, but a 275 for the last, for the Olympia and for a couple of previous competitions. But I think at the Arnold, he was like 296, 295. Thereabouts, and I think that was this is a thing. Look, one of the things I want to discuss, and 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 this is a big point actually, Steve. It's this is a thing sometimes happens in the sport when you become professional. So what am I getting at? I don't think necessarily that the PEDs, and we will be discussing PEDs, suddenly changed. What got you there is what keeps you there. But there's a great question of that: Do professionals have uh, advantages that amateurs do not and i'm it's kind of a weird question so for example some point back in the day it wasn't unusual and we discussed this when we were talking about uh the mystery olympia competitors in the 70s was able to go down the street not far away from gold's gym and there was a doctor that they all used and this particular doctor was able to prescribe them pharmaceutical steroids right so that happened and there was even a thing and i've even had this advantage myself that when you become a name, such as it is in my case, people send you free shit, okay? I've had free grippers for gripping. I've had free grip tools to chest, DVDs and videos when I was doing my magazine. And, yes, when I started to use PDs way back in the day, age 37, I got the occasional freebie sent to me in a post. This is before we was even known, doing the podcast like we are now, whatever, right? So sometimes that happens to professionals. But what also happens, and this is another reason why I think He's stepped up where Samson has gone that extra mile again from the 275 to 290-odd, is you're not working. You're not rushing around. You're not trying to chase a buck. Lo and behold, you become a professional, but you also get, as he has, and we've discussed this also, a good deal for sponsorship. That means your bills are paid. That means your gym fees are paid. And it means that you can rest more. You can recover more. You can spend more on rehab, more on recovery, more on that kind of therapy. The food might improve a little tiny bit. Your training is, I'm a professional now, I have to train and think like a pro, not trying to become a pro, I am a pro. And that means you're not doing things occasionally, pre-competition, now it's at every single day. Now, some pros will alter their performance enhancing a drug stack, they might up their doses a little bit. They know they need to be in condition. But we're talking about a, a genetic freak, 275 at 5'11", with that waist that Steve's just described, gaining 
putting on, coming in and winning the Arnold at very, very close to 300 pounds. And as Steve said, in muscular condition, I've seen some of the videos. We do our pre-show research, but I've seen some of this stuff some months ago, Steve, where his off-season was pretty damn good. This would be 300 pounds pre the Arnold, not super ripped show, show condition, but pretty damn good that the broad shoulder, the fit chest, the small waist, and this is off-season. Photographs and videos taken in his house, I believe upstairs, probably a mirror on a door or in a doorway, with his wife taking the videos and taking the photographs and looking pretty damn good. So it's one of those things, I think, when you're professional, you don't get too out of shape anymore. Not if, you, if you've got appearances to do. You're representing your, your contract quite often requires you to do something with social media, work with the company, so their social media too. And so, therefore, even if he's in what we would describe as off-season shape, he still looks pretty damn good. But that step up, this is where I think that being a professional will change in an athlete's mind. And I'm going to say this, I think, in Samson's mind, you go from 275, pretty damn good, competing in competition, to close to 300 pounds and kicking ass at the, Mr. At the, the Arnold Classic. Taking $300,000 at home, Steve. There was a bunch of jokes with some of the stuff. He was doing interviews about, if I win, I'll get everybody a drink. And he says, now I'm going to have to buy $300,000 a drink and all that kind of stuff. Bit of a joke, but everybody was very happy for him. All the interviews that he did post uh, Arnold again, uh, every, congratulations, et cetera, et cetera. But he stepped up. And again, like I said, that that element of you're within grasp of the Olympia, the gold, gold standard, the crown, and you suddenly between competitions are able to put on 20 quality pounds is just an indication of me of that true professional. Something that you and I have touched upon, we said if you get the film roles, why do these actors get into amazing shape? Well, $25 million is the reason. $15 million is the reason. They go 4 o'clock in the morning eating meal preps, 7 o'clock on set, 12 hours on set. So they're training in the nighttime. They're training in the early hours of the morning. They've got a chef there. That they step, they think and act and train like professional athletes so they look amazing on screen. And that mindset, that preparation, what are you doing daily that's what these athletes are doing. And at his level, Steve, to put on 20 pounds from 275 to 290 plus is amazing. So what do you think on that? Yeah, I mean, I think I think, buddy, um, it's it's getting to be like a big boy, uh, it's getting to be a big boy sport big time, isn't it? Uh, we're seeing these guys. Big Rami uh is no longer the, the big boy in the block. You know, we're seeing some really, really good competitors that are coming on strong now. And um, like I said, we're going to talk about it, not just not just with Samson, but also the next guy we're going to be doing, who is also uh, Nigerian, and he's actually living in Dubai, uh, Andrew Jack. And we're going to talk about him on the on the next podcast. So these are two guys that are absolutely huge. And uh, I believe Andrew is uh, a couple inches shorter than Samson, and he might be even bigger than Samson uh, uh, in the next year. I think Andrew's <laughs> is one of the, I believe Samson and, and Andrew are both. So I think blessing who we've also got on our list is, is slightly shorter, but all yeah, yeah, you're them. right. Yeah, Andrew's actually, yeah. Andrew's yeah. actually six, two. Andrew's actually yeah, six, two. Yeah. Blessing, blessing is the shorter one. one. Yeah. Yeah. So these but guys, they're three, yeah. as we and you discussed in the pre-show, all three come from Nigeria or have Nigerian backgrounds, uh, places where they were born, 
or their mum and yeah. dads come from there. So yeah. something that Steve and I were talking about in the pre-show. So back in the day, I was lifting. I had the advantage, fantastic advantage, Steve, the weeder shop uh, in London. I think there was only a couple ever in the United Kingdom at that time. It was just around the corner from where I worked, which was amazing. So I'd come into work early, pop into the weeder shop, grab the latest magazines and supplements, and then go to work and then go home as I was doing. And I, I met what I said to Steve in the pre-show on the opposing team. So I was working with the Met Police enforcing uh, the regulations on uh, for traffic. And the fellow that was working for the local council that I knew to say hello to was uh, another a Nigerian. And the structure, some, not everybody in Nigeria is a muscular being off, Steve. That's obviously not true. But some of them have got amazing genetics for fantastic physiques. This fellow was... I think I didn't shorter than me. I'm six three. I'm going to say six two. That feel that, and definitely had those big motherfucker genetics. And of course, lo and behold, yes, he trained. So if I see him and say, "Hi, how are you doing?" And then of course, like two meatheads talking on the street, getting paid. What the hell we're talking about? Hitting the weights and how you're doing and all of us looking good, motherfucker, etc. So yeah, for me, the fact that we've got three athletes that we're going to be discussing over the next few podcasts including Samson, all with that Nigerian genetic background. And there's a, there's a lot of back and forth. You're going to have genetic, good genetics and bad genetics everywhere. But the simple fact is this, statistically speaking, to have three Nigerian background athletes all in the top 10 in the world right now is statistically fucked up. It really is, right? So it, it, it makes you think, are there some other athletes out there? And one of the guys that we will be talking about, as I just mentioned, has actually been back to Nigeria, seen some of the piss-poor gyms they got over there and said, listen, if I can, I'm going to try and make a difference, certainly where his parents live, to a couple of local gyms there, by seeing if I can get gym equipment into those gyms so that the uh, next um, generation of Nigerian athletes will have access to American uh, high-standard equipment and will hopefully we'll see even more high-end athletes come out of Nigeria with this particular athlete support. And here's the thing, Steve. Samson thinks of himself as British, but I bet you there's some serious Nigerian fans out there going absolutely crazy. And especially, as I say, with two other athletes, they, they, they must be. If you was a Nigerian teenager right now and you're sitting over there, never mind the Brits, because we're British, we support him too, of course, is, oh, my God. Three of our athletes are in there kicking ass in the top 10, in the top 15 in the world. What an inspiration. What a motivation. If you're a young teenager, you're out living with no, no great equipment. It's going to make you train hard. It's going to make you stay lean. It's going to make you stick to your program. It's going to make you want to kick ass. So a serious inspiration. And I think this is something I, I've had a tiny bit of this in what I've done in the past when I've competed, where you realize it ain't just you and what you're doing, which is kind of selfish to be a good athlete, but at some point you start to influence others. And I think Samson definitely winning the Arnold, what an influence. Uh, there'll be a, a thousand Nigerian teenagers kicking ass just because they've got someone they can say come from their country and is doing incredibly well. It's a bit of a responsibility, Steve. You and I just represent, so it's the same thing. There's a degree of responsibility for you and I, staying in shape, being strong, doing whatever the hell we do, and then, of course, talking about it. We're not too big, fat, old, grave motherfuckers. We still hit the weights. We still do what we do. So it's important. I think it's something, like I said, that Samson will re represent two people, both in their minds and hopefully in his own as well. But we'll see how we get on. What do you think on that as well, Steve? 
Yeah, and we, you know, we've done these podcasts over the years, Mobster, and I can remember a few years ago we said, "Well, Brazilians are coming on. We can expect Brazilians to take over the sport in the next few years." Well, that never really materialized. We have some Brazilians who are doing good, but we haven't seen enough um, of a difference. Then it was the Middle Easterners. It was the Hadi, the big Rami. We're like, well, then Middle Eastern uh, bodybuilders, they're going to take over the sport. And now we're changing our minds again. Now we're saying, hey, it's the Nigerians that are coming on. They're going to change the sport. So uh, we're going to have to see what happens. You know, if if they do um, win a Mr. Olympia, like you said, they're going to go crazy in Nigeria. You're going to see oh, yeah. gyms start popping up everywhere yes. in Nigeria. And you're going to see supplement companies start sponsoring and doing all kinds of stuff because Nigeria is one of those countries. They have a growing middle class and yes. they're a country and over the next hundred years, that's going to eventually, I think they're going to be the, the second largest country by population. So there's a lot of business opportunities for supplement yeah. countries. Yeah. Um, and, and it's going to be a huge, huge market for bodybuilding if they can get it off the ground. So these guys really, it's going to be one of those things where if they can really pull it off and win, it's going to really, really make a difference. Yes. And they're going to be competing with those Middle Eastern bodybuilders out of Egypt and uh, out of the Middle East uh, who are uh, kind of uh, biting at the heels of Hadi. And, and, and Iran, of course, um, is yes. Persian. Hadi is, is Persian, which is Asia. So I don't want to be geographic. No, you're right. I, let me come back at you yeah. for a second. So I actually read something on a Brazilian athlete the other day. So this here's the truth of that, right? Genetically, no. There's some really, really good athletes, 100%. But typically, uh, the uh, South American likes to be in shape to go to the beach, whatever, if they live like, for example, Rio de Janeiro, you'll see a lot of hot bodies, but you won't necessarily see a lot of big muscular bodies. But what you have had in South America, and I'm thinking specifically Brazil, is there's a lot more gyms than there used to be and a lot more sponsorship than there used to be. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they suddenly started turning out a, a lot of Mr. Olympia, Miss Olympia type athletes. That's not happened. So, yes, that's that's true. And I think the Middle East is interesting as well, right? So Pump and Iron, the book, not the movie, included a visit to, I believe, uh, Iraq. I'm going to say that. I'd have to double check, guys. So if I'm wrong, please make sure you say so in the comments. And they were blown away. They arrived at some silly time of the night and there was 500 people at the airport. They, the theatre that the show that they'd gone over to see or, or a couple of the athletes were gone over there to compete in, they had to get the army to come down, Steve, because there was thousands of people in the street outside the theater that couldn't get in, and they had to use the police and the army to prevent them trying to break in. And so what happened was is that we would be focused for the longest time in what we would call the Western world, America, the UK, parts of Europe, and so on and so forth, thinking that was it. In terms of bodybuilding, and to a lesser degree, weightlifting and powerlifting, the, 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 the Western world was it. And then they went to... Iraq and was blown away at the response and didn't realize just how many people were training with weights to keep in shape and so on and so forth. What's happened, especially as you say in Dubai, uh, which is of course where one of our next uh, subjects is going to been training for for the longest time, is the facilities there have been amazing. Uh, particularly, I'm thinking of um, Andrew Jacks again training at Binus with um, Larry Wills, and there's two or three gyms out there that are oxygen's one, business is the other, 
that are absolutely world-class and beyond. They're arguably, potentially, as good a gym as you're going to see anywhere in the world. And something else, I think you and I have actually touched on this on other shows, was the access to literally, <laughs> I'll put it crudely, guys, some of them were living above the shop in flats. Their coaches and people that were working in the gym were knocking on the door and making sure they'd eaten their food. And then you could walk down the street to somewhere that has been recommended, much like the Gold's Gym analogy I used earlier on, and your peptides were there and your pharmaceutical PEDs were there, and it was all sorted for you. Thank you very much if you if you were being looked after locally. So that's the reason why Dubai, even though some of those athletes weren't from Dubai, were creating some absolute monsters, as you say, and producing. I mean, Rami was working in oxygen as a coach, as a, as a trainer, and, and someone helping around the gym, and they became recognised and, and supported and then pushed forward essentially to the point of winning the Mr. Olympia. So again, it's one of those things. I think that for me, it's not necessarily that Nigeria is producing uh, something above and beyond because of another country, but statistically speaking, it's to have three Nigerian originated athletes in the top 15, in the top 15 is statistically uh, unlikely. And as I say, in my personal experience, if nothing else, not every Nigerian is going to be a great big, massive 270, 300-pound motherfucker, but some of the Nigerians I've seen do have great genetics for being massive. And the combination of getting into shape, as Samson has done, producing that stage quality physique, that's another level again. And Steve and I talk about this in multiple shows, to the step, to the being great on camera, being great on Instagram, and winning the Mr. Olympia or winning the Arnold is another level again. It really is. I, I've competed, as you know, in what I do, and it's the difference between competing or winning. So, yeah, let's talk about his competition history, Steve. I'll let you do that. So we can talk about what he's done in the past, guys. You can see his journey. Yeah, so um, he got eighth place at the 2015 IFBB Amateur Olympia UK. He took a year away from competing to hone his craft, set a goal to earn a pro card, Came back two years later, 2017, finished fifth at the IFBB Arnold Classic Amateur Europe, non-easy competition, second at the UK BBF British Championships. Finally won his pro card later that year, 2017 IFBB Amateur Diamond Cup Rome, got first place there, that got him his pro card. Then he got fifth place at the 2018 EVLS Prague Showdown. That was his first professional competition, so not a bad showing for your first time uh, competing against other pros. Next few years, he was in at least three major shows a year. Very consistent. He finished second at the 2019 British Grand Prix, second at the Monster Zim Pro, and second at the 2021 Arnold Classic UK. So he didn't win any of those competitions, but he was starting to get a lot of other competitors noticing him. And uh, one of the things that they noticed was his uh, quick physique improvements over the last year or two in his amazing conditioning when he go on to the show. So I'm very, very impressed by that. If you take a look at the pictures um, of this guy, um, his conditioning is fantastic. Third at the 2021 KO Pro Egypt and Yamamoto Cup Pro. And uh, he was hunting for his first professional win. Finally, he got first place at the 2021 EVLS Prague Pro. So that was an improvement um, on his showing from uh, previously. And, you know, he kept it going. Um, he 
the next year in 2022, Arnold Classic, no one gave him any chance. He proved everyone wrong. He got a close fourth place, finished behind William Bonac and Brandon Curry. And then, look, by this time, he was ready for Mr. Olympia, and he wanted to continue to prove people wrong. Um, you know, some other bodybuilders were really, really saying that this guy was going to really do well. And but a lot of the media just was ignoring him. So but he relished, you know, being the underdog. So Mr. Olympia in 2022, that was the big one um, going against some of the best. He finished sixth place, mobster, just six points behind Big Rami. And he finished ahead of Hunter Labrada. So very, very impressive finish on that one. They predicted uh, he do well the 2023 Arnold Classic with really stiff competition. Some people who were saying he finished top three or top four. Well, guess what? He finished in first. So really, um, this is a guy to watch for. So we'll see um, if he does even better at the Mr. Olympia. And I don't see why he wouldn't, Mobster. As long as he can stay healthy and everything goes his way, I don't see why he can't improve on sixth place. So we'll see what happens. Um, we could get shocked. He could finish once well, first or second place. We'll have to see what happens. So Mobster... Touch on that yeah. a bit, and then we'll. Uh, yeah, no, I want you to get into his training next. Yeah. So I, I was fascinated by the fact, and I said to you in the pre-show, Steve, he reminded me of Ronnie Coleman, and the reason for that was that when Ronnie first went to Metroflex, Brian Dobson, the owner of Metroflex, was the one that tried to encourage him into competition, and and uh, Ronnie said something to the effect of, "Well, money here to get in shape for the police force. I just like training. I like working out." Blah, blah, blah. And essentially, Brian came back with a few. Um, compete, I'll give you a free gym membership. And Ronnie's told this story multiple times. So Samson is like that. Literally not interested in training, but the gym owner, the, the gym he's gone to says, you know what? Got an amazing physique there, fella. I think you could do really well if you got on stage. And uh, referring to our show notes here, saying something to the effect of, funny enough, exactly like Roland, I'm not wearing them like, skimpy trunks and standing up there half naked on stage, bloody blah, blah, blah. But lo and behold, they started to see what people were talking about, started to get into it, saw people around him with, with in condition, went to competitions, saw videos, including um, uh, of other competing athletes, and lo and behold, started to think, you know what, actually, I do kind of compare to those guys. I do have something about my physique that makes me think. I can see what other people are saying. I can see what other people are thinking. So that was interesting for me that he's come from that, not really actually that bothered about competing. And lo and behold, here he is kicking ass in the Arnold Classic. Training-wise, Steve, he's like a lot of professional bodybuilders in terms of following a split routine, isolating the various muscle groups. And for example, and I do this myself, Steve, spending an entire session just on his legs. Some people even split those up, Steve, between doing quads, quad dominant workout and a hamstring dominant workout. The next day, doing his chest and arms and so on and so forth, typically sticking to a five-day routine, which allows him to destroy his muscle groups intensely on each split day and then move on to the next session while allowing the muscle from the day before to recover. Something I will say, Steve, I've actually seen some of his training videos. And one of the things, especially since he's become sponsored and starting to represent in terms of his potential, is he's starting to take the time to explain what he does. So this is not... I, I, I've watched, including Larry Wills, especially the early stuff, and Andrew Jackson, we're going to talk about soon. It's boring. 
uh, unless they're doing something cracking crazy, it's boring to watch. So the next level for you, if you're doing these kind of videos, is to explain what you're doing and show people how you get the best out of an exercise. So not only are they watching you work out, but they're also learning something. And then, of course, and even though you might argue that you're giving some information away, people can see the differences you're making to your physique. So they can actually say, I saw how he improved his legs. I saw how he improved his delts. And then when you win the Arnold and maybe the Olympia, you can literally say that you saw them transform their physique by doing these exercises. So it's interesting to me in that particular regard that he's starting to explain what he does, the food he eats, how he preps, and specifically what muscles, how he's trying to hit a muscle and the contractions and so on. So there's an education out there. And in the article that we're going to link to this podcast, there's some links to videos in there for you to check this stuff out. And of course, he's got his own channel and his own Instagram, naturally. Um, is, he, is he intense? Yes, quite simply. I mean, the educational stuff less so because he think, but you can watch other videos, guys, of him training where the level of intensity is racked up and racks up and racks up and it doesn't look comfortable. Here's the thing, guys. And hopefully our listeners are hardcore. I think they are. That's the reason we're listening to this podcast. You go to most gyms, guys. There's a bunch of people there that look like they're going through the motions. They go to the gym, but they don't look like they're struggling. They don't sweat too much. They don't want to sort of be seen to be too hardcore. That's, that's okay. There's all different kinds that go to the gym. But the truth of the matter is, and Samson's a great example of this, Steve, Proper training in order for you to get the absolute best out of your workouts and win the second best fucking competition on this planet, considered by everybody else $300,000 worth, right up there, second biggest prize in competition after the Mr. Olympia. It's not done by pretending not to sweat or pretending not to strain. It is hard. And unlike some athletes, and I can even think of Arnold when he started doing movies, Steve, Prior to winning, the, doing the pumping iron and prior to him doing movies, his expression was, oh, my God, this is hard. And you can find photographs. But once he started doing media stuff and was doing the movie stuff, he would try to keep his face kind of neutral and give you the idea that the training wasn't that hard. But in reality, Samson shows you how fucking hard, how proper intensity, full-on, pro-level, I want to win the Arnold, I want to win the Olympia, training should be just about as nasty and as horrible and as intense as it's possible to be. I know you've trained that way in the past, Steve. I think you're like me. You stopped a long time ago worrying about how you looked or how you're perceived and just got into the gym and did what needs to be done. And I think that's what Samson did. What do you think on that? Yeah, absolutely, buddy. Absolutely. And yeah, I, I watched some of the videos on him, and um, we'll link it in the article that I put together for you guys. But um, look, at the end of the day, you know, he's – at the end of the day, he, what is he doing that's different than other guys? It's it's all about intensity. It's all about really pushing to the body to the max. And, of course, he's got the ability to do that because of his genetics. If you went in there and copied exactly what he does – you'd probably injure yourself, right? So there's videos out there of him doing the workouts and screaming and, and cursing as he's doing it. It hurts. So that's how you have, that's that's what you need to do 
to train your body and make your body better is you have to push your body. You know, you can't just sit down on the couch and eat potato chips and think your body's going to improve. Your body has to be pushed. If you want to get stronger with your body, you have to push your body. If you want to get strong with your mind, you have to push your mind. That's why we see a lot of guys, they do, um, you know, this is what I do, mobster, every day. I play a couple games of chess online, speed chess, uh -huh. just to keep my mind going. Yes. And it really yes. helps keep my mind fresh and keep my mind moving. This is why I tell you guys, too, on other podcasts we do, to read books. Because books stimulate your mind. Books get your get your make you smarter and all this good stuff. So you have to train your body and train your mind. And this is one of the things that he does as a bodybuilder is he goes in there and that's the whole objective of his training. And yeah. um, obviously doing split routines, you're going to say, well, Steve, how do you do that? If you're going in there and killing your muscles, well, he does split routines. So he'll do a five day split. He'll rotate the muscles he's doing while he's hitting one muscle and destroying one muscle. What's happening to the other muscle that he worked out the day before? It's getting rested. So this is what they do. So split routines are key on this for sure. So if you have dreams of becoming a pro bodybuilder, you better go, get on a good split routine. And you better know how to train in between that. Go ahead, Monster. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, so let me give you an example, guys. And I think this is sort of how is bearing in mind any of the athletes that we've discussed on pretty much every podcast we've ever done on an athlete has a genetic advantage. They're already big and muscular or they respond very, very well to training. But that's true of all every single one. Well, not every single one's a Mystery Olympia or an Arnold Classic winner or whatever, right? Some are, like today, but most are not. That's, that's just a fact of life. So one of the things is even if you have the genetic advantage, and I'm just going to use one exercise as an, as an analogy. We actually refer to it in here, Steve. Say rope pushdowns. It's mentioned in the article. It's something that he does for his arms. Okay. So what do I do? And I consider myself a strength athlete. I'm about to wait from A to B. How much weight can I move from the starting position to the finish position? Now, do I get some muscular stimulus? Yes. Do I get a pump? Yes. But am I a competing bodybuilder? No. Am I an Arnold Classic winner? No. What would Samson do? Bearing in mind, he weighs very similar poundage to myself, Steve, and I'm a little bit taller, um, differently from me. Okay, so here's the thing. He would squeeze the fuck out of his triceps. He'd be working that contraction at the bottom. The pain and discomfort that will have in that particular position will be on another level above mine. That's number one. Number two, his volume would be greater. He's a bodybuilder, he's, so his volume will be higher. It's just a fact of life. I can't see him doing, and I think we know this because we've watched the videos, like you said, Steve, his volume will be higher than mine. So he's doing more pain more contraction in that position it'll be especially for example and this is another thing that encourages a pump work in the top position in other words without necessarily letting hands pop shoot up but he'd be making sure he gets a good stretch at the top and he's doing that i might do something like that see for one set if i do push downs at the minute and my bicep tricep stuff online in my log guys i'm doing press downs as a as a pump thing at the finish so i'm doing one set he will be doing multiple sets and he's not only doing multiple sets, he's doing multiple tricep movements. So his volume's higher. The training angles will be varied. They're literally using different handles to hit different heads of the tricep and squeezing it. To do that, it's, if you take someone that's not familiar with that level of training, and I've done this 
and you'd literally take the pin down and you you actually take some weight off the machine or off the bar or off the dumbbell, whatever, for what they're used to, and just get them to squeeze in a contraction. That's the difference. That that level and trying to get the contraction and trying to get something out of it, it's, 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 it's painful. It's uncomfortable. And something else, I'm actually going to do a podcast on this, be working like crazy outside the gym. Let's say, for example, it does two hours, split, split routine, like Steve says, two hours a day, again, at least equal time will we spent on recovery because those kind of workouts are fucking unreal. I, 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 even the volume stuff that I'm thinking of doing in the near future is not on this level. And I'm not looking to be a Mr. Arnold, Arnold Classic winning uh, bodybuilder. But I, 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 anytime any of you, if you ever get the opportunity to train with a uh, Mr. Olympia or someone like that, it would be on another level. Yeah, let's talk about a little bit about nutrition, Steve, and then talk about what we think he does for performance enhancing drugs. Yeah, so in the when it comes to nutrition, look, he likes to keep it simple. He likes to eat quality foods. He uh, likes eggs, steak, beef, and chicken. Those are his top protein sources for carbs, sweet potatoes, rice, and fruits. He also gets in vegetables, oats, and supplements throughout the day. And, um, you know, that ties into his sponsorships. And Mobster, may, I know you want to talk about Hostile a little bit, but let me tell you about his YouTube channel. He's got a YouTube channel. It's got a lot of followers. His Instagram page is growing. It's got 350,000 followers. Um, one of the favorite, my favorite photos, which is you'll, you'll be able to see in, in the article, is him accepting the trophy from Arnold at the Arnold Classic. So that's a really, really cool one that he has up there. He also has pictures of his wife, Marlenka, and his dog, uh, Cerberus, I believe it's pronounced. And um, his dog looks like some sort of uh, maybe a pit bull mix or something. Yeah. Um, so a big hound, man. Yeah, it's a big, it's a big, 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 big dog. And yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's a, it's uh yeah. And from what I read too, his wife really, really is involved with his bodybuilding and very, very supportive. So that's 100%, really cool. Yeah, that's she's really cool. The gym, to see. She's prepping yeah. the food. She's taking the photographs and video clips. We've seen him imposing very quickly, guys, on the hostile. Something I said to Steve in a pre-show, the big contracts of a few years ago died a horrible death a few years ago. The guys in between were doing multiple contracts. Hostile, I think, stepped up a little while ago, and I believe there's an actual video uh, discussing this with the, the owner of Hostile, where they saw that Samson had, in the owner of the company's uh, mind, a future. Much like Chris Cormier, uh, thinking he had a great potential and was going to do incredibly well, the owner of Hostiles did the same. And I believe, I don't think I'm wrong, I believe it's a six-figure contract, so at least 100000 And I'm pretty sure, Steve, I saw something to the effect of the first number might begin with a four. So that is absolutely amazing. And then lo and behold, within a very short time of signing that contract, boom, we're talking Arnold Classic win. So that person made the right decision and absolutely got Samson at the right time for the right amount of money. And here we go. Now, there might be some, some clauses in the contract. You might not get all the money at once, guys. But if I'm right, that is absolutely amazing to roll the dice, sign someone who hadn't won a big, big, big competition, hadn't long been a professional bodybuilder in terms of placing first or whatever, and rolled the dice and got it right as 
perfect everything, Steve. Let's talk about the PEDs here. I, I'm going to say one word here, and I'll let Steve jump in with the rest, and then I'll come back in again. But I think the magic word is trend, Steve. Reference the article and what you put in the article, because I think it's on point what you said. So we're seeing uh, Milos Sarsev, um, and he's been quite very vocal lately. Um, I'm not really sure if he's just trying to kind of get, you know, TV time or, or internet time or something, but he seems to always butt his head into all kinds of things. But he went on a podcast with Dennis James, who uh, is also the same way, very much an attention getter and claims that he begged Samson to take Tren, and Samson finally gave in and did it after saying no many times. So that's kind of, um, you know, I'm not sure I believe Milos, um, you know, but hey, you know, whatever floats his boat. I don't think that uh, he was the guy who, like, convinced them to do it. I think these guys know what they have to do to go on stage and compete at that level. And Trent is one of the best for that because Trent is a great nutrition partitioner and Trent is something that your competitors are going to use. And it's, it's the one you want to use to get bigger, to get stronger, to get absolutely ripped. And um, it's, 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 so it's a no brainer that he would use Trent. I I mean, I could say the same thing. I'd be like, Oh yeah. I talked to Samson when I was in Africa and I ran into him (laughs) when I was in Brain Mobster. You could say that you ran into him in the the Welsh mountains. I was doing a T sign. And you convinced him to use Trent. So, I mean, look, I mean, these fitness influencers, they're just fucking, you know, I I don't know what to say anymore. Here's the thing guys. And I think Steve would agree with me. We've touched on this. If Samson wasn't using Tren and had got as far as he had without it, then that might argue that that's the reason why his physique's gone to the next level. Something that Steve and I have talked about before when we talked about Tren, just on a typical user, like our listeners, we say try not to use Tren straight away. Wait until you've got some experience, some knowledge, but especially experience of how you respond to certain drugs. Start with the simple stuff, start with simple stacks, and only get complicated when you've got a few years under your belt, a few cycles under your belt, and so on. Now, bearing in mind his amazing genetics, there's an argument to be made that perhaps, and again, like I said, refer to what I said earlier on about him not wanting to compete and being persuaded to compete. There's an argument to be made that perhaps if what Milo said was true, then here's what we're seeing. We're seeing an amazing physique get better. We've seen an amazing physique that's turned professional become a Arnold Classic winner. So if it is true, it might explain, or partly explain at least, why he's taken a step up and level up. And here's the thing again, guys. Lee Priest is a great example of this, Steve. When he talked about his stack, people do not believe what Lee was taking. The fact that he was an amazing physique at five and a half feet tall, they couldn't get their head around, you know, this is a very little piece of PDs I'm using. The same thing applies to Arnold back in the day, kicking ass and, and seven-time Mr. Olympia versus perhaps just normal guys hitting the gym now, taking more drugs. So when you've got amazing genetics, when you're hard work, when you're absolutely killing in the gym and you've not used Trend, then Trend's going to add a little bit to it. What else do we think, Steve? Do you think we're looking at HGH and insulin into that stack? What else? Yeah, so it's another thing that these guys at that level are doing. A lot of HGH. So I think a good conservative number with 12 I use uh, per day of HGH. So I would say they're using both long and short acting HGH. Um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm long, long and short acting insulin with the HGH. 
So they'd probably use some ACH uh, when they get up, do some fasted cardio, then eat, and then they would take ACH, you know, later on during the day, probably two or three times a day with the ACH. And then the insulin, they want to have the short-acting insulin um, and long-acting insulin. So they would take the long-acting insulin uh, probably in the morning and then take the short-acting insulin before their their meals or after you know like around the time they're eating their meals usually just before then have a shake and then have have their meal so that would be kind of the strategy for that so the hgh and insulin both work together at helping to really um provide the hgh is going to provide the fat loss the insulin is going to provide the nutrition partitioning combine that with the trend and now you're really really cooking those three Clenbuterol, 120 micrograms per day, I think would be a good option too uh, to help with fat loss. But that's something that would be very flexible. Um, they'd probably uh, move the dosing up and down anywhere from 60 to 120 micrograms. 120 micrograms probably max would be uh, my guess. When it comes to testosterone propanate, probably 1,000 milligrams. And of course, ahead of your competition, you want to definitely come off of that. Um, equipoise, we've seen competitors... Um, we've seen the, uh, the, the numbers from some of these, uh, professional bodybuilders who have unfortunately passed away when they've actually done the testing on their bodies to see what's been in their system, a mind boggling amount of equipoise was found in their system. I think there was one guy we did mobster maybe like three years ago. Do you remember who it was? I can't remember, but he actually did when he did the autopsy, I think it was like 2000 milligrams of equipoise was found in his system. That's, uh, I, been, I think it sounded like a Dallas McCarver death cycle type thing to me, Steve. And I think, yeah, but then they actually analyzed. Yeah. Uh, they found three specific steroids in the system. I can't remember if it was Dallas or someone else, but they, the diagnosis. No, it was someone else. It was someone else. He had yeah. died before, like, the, right before the competition. That's right. And they but isolated a... three or four different steroids in his system. And the guess that they come up with was in the 1,000 to 2,000 range for all three or four steroids. I believe that's the case. Yeah. So then uh, that would be a good one. Equi uh, and then Masteron, really, really good one. Masteron propanate, 1,000 milligrams. You definitely want to use that ahead of your show for hardening purposes. And then 200 milligrams of Winstrol per day. Uh, Winstrol is great for drawing you out. So he's looking really good. And then, of course, the trend we talked about. I would say anywhere. I could. I would say he, he might stack, do something like uh, 500 milligrams of trend E. And then switching it over or running it con you know, concurrently, uh, running 1,000 milligrams of trend ACE. So doing a more short ester ACE. One of the things I like to do, one of the tricks I do with my clients who compete is I'll, I'll get them off a trend a couple of weeks before the competition. This way, the trend is kind of out of their system by the time they go on stage. Because when you're on trend, you don't look as good as the weeks after you come off. And that has a lot to do with inflammation in the body. So getting that inflammation down so you can go on stage and really look good. I don't only want Winstrol and Masteron and maybe Equipoise in my system going into the competition. Um, that would be what I would want to be showing, you know, on stage. And of course, you know, they manipulate diuretics and all that good stuff too. So I have no doubt that he messes around with diuretics and and some of those uh, other things to kind of mess with it. How about you, Mobster? What what would be your opinion on this? I'm agreeing, and I'll tell you what I think as well, guys. And it's some I know you, our listeners love. And that's the reason why I do it, guys. They love to know 
what the stacks are, the cycles. And of course, it's all second best guess. Okay. But we can say some of these things because we know other professional bodybuilders have said specifically, we talked about your top tier bill, a dead athlete, what was standing assistance. And we know what the guys are taking. We can guess. And here's the thing. As I touched upon earlier on, amazing genetics. Didn't want to compete. This was persuaded to compete. Looked like he should have been competing when he spoke to the gym owner. Competed. We've heard his competition record. He's been getting better and better and better. What's he also been doing is he gets to know his body better. Each cycle, each diet, each competition prep, gets to know yourself better and better and better every time. Learns, starts to think like a professional, starts to train like a professional, improves, improves, improves. So I guarantee, I think I could probably say this and put some money on it if I had to, Steve, that what he was doing back in the day was super simple. He probably wasn't doing anything when he looked amazing and it just got better when he did. And then slowly over time, learn what works and what didn't work. Is this stack comparable? I think so. And I, I think he's probably got to the point now he's been talking to have a, a professional level bodybuilders. He might have someone that's to give him advice. Heck, it may be even Milos did give him some inside information. So he would have got to the point where he's a great responder. That's that, not just mean to the gym, but I mean to performance enhancing drugs, the minimal side effects, which other people might absolutely struggle with. If you take an average joke from the gym and put them on the stack, it's going to fuck him up. It's as simple as that. It's super expensive. And you're doing it. Here's a great point as well. If you're competing, again, Arnold Classic winner, whatever this cost is the investment in your future, in your wife's future, in, in your pension, in the years when you retire. You've got $300,000 you can put into a house, you can stick into a pension fund, you can use to take you to the Mr. Olympia level, win $400,000. So you're, it's an investment. So there's a great thing there that the risk is worth the reward in this example. And I, guess I think genetically, people don't always understand this, Steve, but even first off, a pro athlete, an Olympia-level genetic athlete will have a great response to PEDs, 100%. And secondly, they'll then raise over time as they compete onto a higher and higher level, small increments here and there to the level that we're talking about. We think this is a normal stack for top, top-level bodybuilders. And, of course, get great responses and, and little side effects. And, again, they'll be able to afford proper blood tests all the time, Steve, proper health checkups, the physio, the rehab, everything else will be on point coming off clean in between, going down to minimal amounts, depending on how many times you're doing um, seminars, shows, expos, and so on and so forth, if you need to look good, et cetera, et cetera. Realise that perhaps you might only be on stage as a super competitive athlete at top level for five years and so on and so forth. So for them, it's worth investing in. They have a great response to it. They can afford to get themselves looked after medically. And they have the great genetics. And, of course, as we say, Samson is absolutely killing it in the gym, Steve. So what do you think about that? What do you think about this kind of stack for him or other athletes like him and the, that, that sort of the, their response to it versus, say, for example, an average show before we finish up? Yeah, so absolutely. Like, it, it's just like anything else. So anabolic steroids – they do a bunch of things in the body to give you an advantage. One of the things they do is they lower SHBG, and that's great because it allows your body to fight the natural um, preventative measures that's in place to basically keep us alive. So it's going to allow you to get rapidly stronger beyond what you normally could ever achieve, and it will allow you to build more muscle 
than you could ever naturally achieve. Also increases, pro increases protein synthesis. So it allows you to better take advantage of the foods you're eating, the nutrition you're taking, all that good stuff. So if you already have the genetics in place to already have those advantages already where you can train naturally and look better than someone else who has average to poor genetics who uses steroids, then imagine what you would look like when you actually do use anabolic steroids. So that's the beauty part um, of this. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, someone like Samson, he doesn't need to use a lot of steroids to achieve some really, really good results. But the thing is, to get to that level and look like an absolute beast and be over 300 pounds and ripped, obviously you're going to have to take some, some stuff, you know, to compete against the people he's going up against. So at this point, it becomes like chemical war war uh, warfare. But to Mobster's point, listen, anyone listening to this, Mobster, me, any of you out there, okay, if we took what Samson took, we would not be able to achieve what he looks like. If we worked out the way Samson works out, we would not be able to achieve what he looks like. So genetics is a big, big element of this. So you got to keep that in mind and not try to copy the uh, steroid cycles that we speculate that, that he uses. So obviously it would be majorly dumb and a waste of your time to even do that. It'd be majorly dumb to even follow his diet. It'd be majorly dumb to, to try to copy you know, what he's doing for his workouts, you're just going to get yourself hurt in the process. So at the end of the day, look, these guys, they have, um, they're born to do this. You know, this yeah. is, they got top 1%, top 0.1%, not even top 1%, point, top 0.1% or 0.01% yeah. genetics. These are the best bodybuilders in the world. You took the 20 best bodybuilders in the world. Samson is on that list. And he proved it yes. by getting six, uh, six place in the Mr. Olympia. So, these guys, um, they're incredible athletes, and we really look forward to seeing what the, what kind of uh, damage that Samson will do um, in the next year or two. And I expect him to finish in the top three or four, Mr. Olympia, at the very minimum, and possibly even uh, first or second place. So we'll have to keep an eye on him. It'll be exciting to watch uh, Mobster. So, it's, uh, it's so fun to talk about it, for sure, isn't it, guys? I, I think Steve is correct. I, 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 first off, we love talking about this, and we know that you like to hear us talk about this. So that's the reason why we discuss it. But it's what Steve said about the genetics and that advantage is also true. So we do – these are educational. We want you to get the best out of what you do, and you can learn some of the tricks and techniques that top professional bodybuilders use in order to get themselves above and beyond the other genetic freaks and get themselves into the winner's circle. So there's something there, Steve. In terms of what Samson's going to do in the next few years, yeah, he has the potential, Steve. Um, this is a great argument that's going to be made by bodybuilding fans of the world over who's going to win next, who's the next person to step up. Is the fellow in the 212 going to be up there in the winner's circle? We play second, winning the, winning the 212 one year, and then a couple of years later, here he is second to the Mr. Olympia, so, and so on and so forth. And he's looking amazing at the moment. Steve's super big, super huge. To just blow people's minds on that basis. Then we've got a bunch of Nigerian fellas, uh, two of them around the six feet or so mark. So that's tall. Andrew over six foot and still kicking ass. Samson's right in that particular mix. Top six, top three. I think so. 
if not this year, next year. So there's a lot of potential there. That's the reason why he's one to watch. That's the reason why we're discussing him today. Keep that in mind. Like I said, with any of this stuff, guys, you can learn from these podcasts what makes them take their genetics and take advantage and become something in that 0.1% that Steve talks about, that special group. Not the top 1,000, not the top 100, the top 10, the top 15, the top 20. In his case, number one at the Arnold. Potential to be in the top three this year, maybe at the Olympia. How do they get there? Yes, it's PEDs, but it's super, super. It has been anal when you're training and super intense to the point of pain and discomfort that most of us might take a step away from. It's not easy. The diet, sticking to that, doing things 365. I know athletes, and I think Dorian's a great example, kind of fucked up, Steve, literally the day after winning the competition prepping for the next competition. The next day, guys. <laughs> I think he had one. He'd go out the night that they, he was winning the Olympia, have some pizza, have some beer, get high, and that was it. Literally the next day, back on back on prep, back on training, thinking 12-month cycles and so on, training cycles, gear cycles, you name it. Literally training for the next day for the next Mr. Olympia. That's how you get to be a great athlete. You think like that 24-7. You act like that 24-7. It's, it's easier, and I say that inverted commas, Steve, when you've got sponsorship, but ultimately it's application of effort, being anal about your food, being anal about your training, doing every single thing that takes to become a top-level competitor. Again, there are 20 other guys out there doing exactly what you're doing that want to be on the Olympia stage right next to you, kicking your ass. You've got to be doing everything they're doing and two more things. That's how you do it. So keep that in mind, guys. Please note we are not doctors and the opinions are ours. It's our view and based on the experience and views on the topic. A podcast of informational purposes, entertainment only, the freedom of speech and the First Amendment.